next week. You've got to remember, when the book of Titus was written, it was not written to be read over three, four weeks. <laughs> it was supposed to be sit down and be one setting so you get the full feel. It's not a very long book, and you could whip through it probably in about five, ten minutes just reading it, and you get the full context. The problem is when we try to break it down week by week here, there are some passages that kind of flow better with other ones. It's not taking them out of context. It's getting the full feel of it. So there's a few verses we're not going to really hit in depth this week, and we're going to come back later next week and hit those. And we've also done that a couple other times here. And we're getting to the end of Titus. We're going to be pulling all these things all together. Now, I don't want to be repetitious, but if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to get a copy of the CD from Titus 2 or go ahead and grab a chance to listen to it online because we go into detail about the importance of not just having church on Sunday, but having that relationship throughout the entire week. Now, you may say, okay, I've heard that all before, but yeah, we need to keep hearing that because so often in the society we live today, we make church this Sunday morning thing. We go to church on Sunday morning. We've done our duty. Boy, our relationship with Christ is throughout the entire week. And what we talked about last week was getting involved in some of those smaller groups and going deeper in accountability and having that fellowship. And I encourage you to get a chance to listen to that. So, without much further ado, we left off last week in Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture here, and then we'll go back and we'll break this down. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify us for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, this is a faithful saying, and these things I write you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Now, what's the main point of that long passage? The main point is actually found in two verses. Verse 14 of chapter 2 and verse 8 of chapter 3. Verse 14, He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Look at those last four words, zealous for good works. Now, look at verse 8. Middle of it, I want you to affirm constantly. So don't just say it here and there. Constantly talk about this. That those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. So what's the point? Point wants good works from us. And not just good works. As you look at verse 14, zealous for good works. Having zeal. That you want to go out there and do something. Now, the problem is you can't make somebody want to do it. They have to want to deep down inside. And I've told you numerous times before, I've tried for years to try to get people to do stuff. You can't do it. I have a hard enough time trying to get myself to do things. So often we try to. It's like, hey, you know, come to this study or do this or do that. You have to, in your heart, decide that it's important to you that you want to go deeper in your walk with the Lord. If you don't have that desire to want to go deeper, there's nothing anybody can say or do to make a change with that. Nothing. Do we have that zeal, that zealousness for good works? Now, what's a good work? Good work could be anything. 
A good work could be doing nothing. You didn't say something. That's a good work. You kept your tongue. That's one of the things we've been talking a lot about the men's study is sometimes that self-control to not say something. Good work could be going in above and beyond for your spouse and they never see her or know it. Good work could be quietly cleaning the church at 10 o'clock at night when no one will ever see you. Good works could be anything. It's something that you do to further the kingdom. It's something you do to go deeper in your walk with Christ Jesus. Now, it's very important to stress this point. Those good works are vital, but those good works don't save you. That's something that has to be repeated constantly because we still fall in this mindset of what I do dictates God's love for me. I still run into that. I've been saved for 17 years and I still every now and then have these thoughts of, oh, I read a lot this morning. God's really going to give me a good day today. And then my tire goes flat. You know, it's one of those things where it's not what we do. God's love for you and me never changes. He loves us the same. But it's because of that love, I want to be zealous to go out and do things for Him. Now why? Why would I want to do something for Him? Well, this is the beauty of the Bible here. He comes right out and tells us why. Because we could just stop the message down and say, go do something. Okay? But why? Why would I want to go do something? Well, let's look at the first reason. First reason that you should want to go do something, look at verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 13. The main reason you want to go and do something is Jesus is returning. So since He's returning, that spurs us on now to go do something for Him. He's coming back. And as He comes back, we want to be prepared and ready spiritually, emotionally, physically for the return of Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn there, but remember this verse or write it down. 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. See, Christ is returning. And we need to be ready and prepared for that. Are you in the spiritual condition you want to be to meet your Savior? Now, I mentioned earlier, I've been saved for 17 years, and ever since I've been saved, someone's been telling me Jesus is coming back. And ever since I've been saved, someone's telling me, boy, I, don't, I, I can't see us going another year. I can't see it getting much worse. But then we keep going another year. Now, I'm not saying that Christ isn't returning, because Christ could return in months, He could return in weeks, He could return in years, decades, centuries. He also could return in minutes, or He could return in seconds. Now, think about that. Are you spiritually at a place where you're ready to stand before Jesus Christ? Now, when you hear that, if that gives you an excitement of finally this world is over, amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But if it makes you squirm a little bit, then maybe you need to stop and say, okay, what am I doing then that makes me ashamed at His coming? What is going on in my life spiritually right now that I say, I I really love Jesus, I do, but could you let me clean up a little bit first before we meet? Because what's going on then? Because the point that Titus is trying to say here is this return of Christ sits over us in a good way, saying Christ is coming back at any way, any time, so be prepared. So therefore, as I'm being prepared, I'm zealous for good works. The problem is we get lulled to sleep spiritually. So therefore, we're like, okay, yeah, I know. I've heard this before. Jesus is returning. Yep, Jesus is returning. I got it. Does that spur you on? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of does. But I've got a really big project at work tomorrow. Well, wait a second. Christ could return before that moment. Well, I know He could return, I know, but I need to be ready, I need to be prepared, you know. I've heard people say, you know what, you know, I, I, I want Christ to return, but I've got this really next thing, I really want to get this done. My goodness, what is so important in life that we have to get done before Jesus returns? Or that thing that you're so worried and fearful and anxious about that is coming up in maybe a day or a few weeks or a few months and you're just 
anxious and worried and worked up. Do you realize Christ could return before that event even happens to take away that worry and fear? Why get worked up about something that may not even happen? Because Christ is returning. Now, once again, I could sit here and hit this point again and again and again, but the truth of the matter is He is coming back sometime. We don't know when. And that either spurs you on or makes you the ostrich you want to stick your head in the sand and say, oh, I just don't want to think about it right now. I just don't want to deal with it. Guys, it's going to happen. And as it happens, we don't want to be ashamed at His coming. We want to be a people zealous for good works. Time is short. What are we doing? This is the thing that's really hit me here lately at church is the more I think about stuff, is everything we do really just needs to simply do this. Does it take the kingdom of God farther? Is it taking someone deeper in their walk with Jesus Christ? Is it giving an opportunity for souls to get saved? Because that's stuff, that's all that matters. I've seen churches get caught up in things and they want to be the biggest and the best and the most whatever. That stuff really just doesn't matter. What matters most is when you leave this building today, are you going to go home and change somebody for Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit? Are you going to go home and be a better husband, a better wife? Are you going to go home and be a better employee? Are you going to go do something to further the kingdom? Not in your power and strength. We've already talked about that. It's through the Holy Spirit, not us. But are we going to go do something to make a difference? Are we zealous for good works? That word zealous literally means burning. Burning with zeal. Wow, we've got to get out there and be zealous, guys. See, here's the problem, though. Romans 12 also says you can have zeal without knowledge. I've run into a lot of people that have zeal and they have no knowledge. Oh, they're excited. They're going to change things, but I really don't know what they're doing or what they're saying. And it's great to have that zeal, but you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. If you would, please turn to Second Peter chapter 2. Because here's another point that comes out of Titus. Second Peter chapter 2. See, back in chapter 1, as you're going to 2 Peter chapter 2, they talked about false teachers coming in, and it says, whose mouths must be stopped to subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not. Guys, there's false teaching around left and right. I've seen so much false teaching here these last couple months out at Harvest. It just amazes me. And you think you've seen everything the enemy can throw at, but it just keeps coming up. And you see somebody getting sucked into this false teaching. And next thing you know, it's creating stress and problems at home, at work, whatever, because this is what I think and this is what I believe and this is what this guy says and this is what she says. What does the Bible say? What do the Scriptures say concerning things? We can all have somebody we like. We can all have a teacher that we follow. But what do the Scriptures say? And that goes for anybody. It goes to whoever stands behind this pulpit. Me, Rich, Renee, whoever. Everything needs to be backed out and checked up with Scriptures. Look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. There are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Stop right there. Do you realize there are going to be false teachers wherever you go? You know, we like to think, oh, we're safe in the church. No. The church is where the wolves come in sheep's clothing. That's where the false teachers are. They will be among us. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. See, it's not open. It's little tiny things. It's changing just a little bit. And next thing you know, that little bit becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. That secret destructive heresies. Now, I've heard stuff that's just so crazy, I can't believe anybody would ever want to believe it. And I got, if you've ever been in my office, I have a whole shelf on, on my bottom office that I call my uh, heresy shelf. And anytime I find something that's just a crazy, false teaching, I, I throw it on that shelf. And I just find this stuff fascinating. I have one back there where they have claimed that they have found 
the foreskin of Jesus and they're going to clone him. And so therefore they're asking for monetary donations and this is going to be the second coming. So, it's just absurd. But yet that teaching is out there. Absurd. Now, but you know what? Then you find other things that maybe aren't as absurd. I got another one back there that uh, quotes a lot of scriptures. And basically it says if you're a Christian, you're not going to sin. Because what it comes out and says, well, the Bible says he who abides in him does not sin. First John. Well, you know what the Bible says? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. So obviously if you're sinning, you're not doing all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Now that starts to sound, well, wait a second. That's scripture. That's scripture taken out of context. That's scripture being misquoted. Well, how are we supposed to know that? Because you're supposed to study to show yourself an approved workman rightly dividing the word of truth. So therefore, when the false teaching comes, you know it doesn't line up. I don't know if you've ever studied this out before, but the uh, FBI, when it does its um, counter unit on, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, on currency, uh, false currency there, fake money. They don't study the fake money, they study the real money. So therefore, when they see something fake, they can say, wait a second, this doesn't match up to the real. See, so often I see people flip that around. They want to study the fake teachings. Well, I want to see what these people teach. No, 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 no. Just stick to what the Bible says, and as soon as you hear that false teaching, your lies will go, nope, that's not true. I know that's not true. Well, how's that not true? Because the Bible says this. False teaching is rampant, guys. It's on the radio. It's on the TV. It's in your friends. It's in your neighbors. It's everywhere. And what we have to do is know our Bible like the back of our hand to say, you know what? I know that doesn't line up with God's Word. And this is why Titus is trying to say, be animate about this. Jump back, if you will, to Titus real quick. I've got a couple of the verses there I want to share with you at that. As you're going to Titus, I just want to read one of the passages here. It's from 1 Timothy 4. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, end times, that's now, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I've seen false teaching come up and swoop somebody right out of the church. Why? Because they weren't ready and prepared for what the Bible says. Look here in Titus. This is why in the book of Titus, Paul is constantly telling him, teach. Look at Titus 1.9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. In Titus 1.9. Look at Titus 2.1. But as you, for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. See, guys, we need to get back to the basics of the Bible of what the truth is. Because when you know the truth, the false won't get you. Satan wants to use whatever false teaching he can to come in there and steer you off the path of Christ, get you off that path and cause divisions and problems at work, at home, among friends, family, relatives, you name it. He wants to do that. And Titus is saying, wait a second, no. We need to keep teaching and affirming the truth. And the first thing that spurs us on is Christ is returning. If Christ is returning, are we ready for that? Are we spiritually prepared for that? That's the first thing. That spurs us on for zealous works. It's because I want to be ready and prepared when the Messiah comes in verse 13. Now, there's also some other things here that we're supposed to do because he's done zealous things. Excuse me, we should be zealous for him. Look at verse 14. What else did Jesus do? He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Now, you've been redeemed. That word literally means be liberated. You were in a cage of sin and Jesus set you free. Isn't that amazing? Now, we talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago. Here's the problem. We're in that cage of sin. Jesus opens the door and says, you're free. And some of us says, I'd really like to stay in my cage. Now, why would you want to stay in the cage? The cage is filthy. It's sin. 
When I like to go out into the garage and work at our house, we have a big dog kennel. We got a uh, shepherd husky mixed dog, and we got this big dog kennel that the dog can come in when it's bad weather outside or something like that. And when I'm out in the garage, the boys love to go in the dog kennel. And they love to go in there and get themselves locked in the dog kennel. They just love it. And I never leave the garage door open because I don't want anybody to drive by and see my two boys locked in this dog kennel. Dawn Dawn came out and said, where are the boys in the kennel? Um, It's easier that way. And she's like, do you realize what the dog does in that kennel? And it's like, yeah, that is kind of gross now that I think about that after a while. And you stop and you say, okay, boys, we've got to get out of the dog kennel. Problem is they don't want to get out of the dog kennel. Dog kennel's fun. I don't know why. The dog kennel's fun to be in there. Dad, can we get in the dog kennel? Dad, can we play in the dog kennel? No, dog kennel's gross. You can't go in the dog kennel. Do you realize how many people are in a dog kennel of life? It's like, hey, do you, come on, come to church. Nah, I like getting drunk every day. I like having a horrible marriage where we yell and scream at each other. Now, I like looking at things I shouldn't. I like being vulgar. I like my dog kennel. Are you allowed to, can you get them out? only thing you can do is open the door and say you don't really want to be in there. Some people do, though. See, Christ has come to redeem us, to liberate us. problem is some people don't want to be liberated. They don't want to be redeemed. They'd rather stay in the dog kennel. Now, what do you do about that? Well, I've tried to poke them out. I've tried to pry them out. I've tried to pull them out. I've tried to push them out. Uh, That doesn't work. They have to want to come out. And when they want to come out, that's when the Holy Spirit has a hold of their hearts. That's when change is going to happen. Seriously, look back at your walk with Christ. How long did it take for someone to preach to you? How many times did you hear it before you finally got it? Sometimes we like to hang on that dog kennel for a while. But you know what? Christ has come to redeem us, to liberate us. So if you are saved here today, since you have been redeemed and liberated by Christ, the next point is, hey, what can I do for Him? He died for me. What can I do for Him? I want to be zealous for good works. Well, after we've been liberated from the sin, what happens next? Verse 14. He purifies us. And according to verse 5 of chapter 3, He washes us. Isn't that beautiful? You're purified and washed by Christ. Now, here's the thing. You're made clean in Jesus. Now, the world may not think you're clean, though. Well, I know you. I remember what you used to do. I remember what you used to say. And I remember how you used to act. Don't come pull this Jesus stuff on me. Christ says I'm clean, though. The world may still look at me as the same old person, but that's the beauty of your walk with Christ, is the longer you live for Jesus and walk with Christ, the more people are going to be able to have their mouths silenced. What are they supposed to say? Now, note, who does the washing and the purifying? Jesus. I cannot stress this to you enough. There's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. It was all taken care of on Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. Hence, it is finished. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Because He wants to purify me and wash me. That's the only thing you get out of this today, and that's okay. It's that God loves you no matter what. And he wants to purify and wash you. Now, the problem is sometimes we say God loves us no matter what. And then we stop and say, oh, that's nice. Okay, but he loves me to want to wash me and purify me. And I would not be doing my job if I didn't say the reason you need purify and wash and the reason I need purify and wash is because there's sin in my life. Jesus didn't die for fun. 
He just didn't die to say, I'm just going to do this. He died because I had sin and that sin had to be dealt with. And we're purified and washed by Christ. So therefore, since I'm purified and washed by Christ, I want to be zealous for good works. Look what Jesus did again. He's liberated me from the dog kennel. He's set me free. He's washed me. He's purified me. I'm now clean spiritually. Lord, what can I do for you? I want to get out there and do something. Next one. Why else would I want to do stuff? Jump ahead, if you will, now to the Holy Spirit there in verse 5. He saved us through the washing, we talked about that, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. I want to do something for the Lord because He gave me the Holy Spirit. Turn, if you will, please, to John chapter 14. I think sometimes we take this for granted. The Holy Spirit... Do we not realize the amazing thing this is? I am a sinful, disgusting person. And God says, I want to live inside of you. That blows my mind. That absolutely blows my mind. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, Keep my commandments. This is Jesus speaking. And I will pray in the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him but you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Do you realize the Holy Spirit living inside of me shows that God says, James, you're mine. You know, we've had a lot of kids here the last few years and one of the first things they do is when the baby's born is they take those footprints and they put the footprint on the paper and they also have also already taken Dawn's fingerprints so therefore it's matched up. There's no doubt about it. That baby is ours. See, when I get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and says, I'm God's. God says, I'm putting my spirit in you to show that you are mine. Now, I like that. I like that because I like it that God says, James, I want you so bad, I'm going to take some of God, the Holy Spirit, and put that inside of you. So as I walk this world, God himself dwells in me as a temple, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Does that not just blow your mind? That whatever you do, the Lord himself is in you. Now, that can be really encouraging i got a big surgery coming up. i got a big problem at work. I'm really stressed and tensed out. Thank the Lord His presence is always with me. It can also be really convicting. Ah, no one saw that except God. Oh, no one heard that thought except God. No one sees what I'm really like when no one else is around except God. See, the Holy Spirit living inside of us is, number one, amazing, joyous, empowering, it's also really convicting. Conviction's not a bad thing, guys. We run from conviction where conviction is God's way of tapping us on the shoulder saying, I love you enough to tell you to stop. See, stay in John 14 and jump ahead to uh, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Isn't that a wonderful ministry? The Holy Spirit speaks through us on what to say. You know, when I get up to teach, always pray the Spirit speaks because we don't want the words of James, we want the words of the Lord. When you're out there sharing and witnessing to somebody, you don't want your words to come out, you want the Lord's words to come out. When you're studying the Bible privately, no one's around, you're like, Lord, I don't get this passage. You don't need the help of man, you need the help of the Spirit. 
Now, is it wrong to use a commentary, call somebody up? Of course not, no. But give the Holy Spirit first dibs. He wrote the book. He knows what he's talking about. That's the thing is, the Spirit comes upon us. Now, did you catch the word in Titus 3? Abundantly. Abundantly. See, this is the thing about the Holy Spirit. I've heard so many people say, and I love this quote, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on anybody. The Holy Spirit will do as much or as little as you ask. And I don't mean that in the sense that we tell him what to do. But if you choose to have a very limited role with him, he's not going to push it. But if you want an abundant role with him, what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. So therefore, since the Holy Spirit is upon me, I want to go out and do stuff zealous for God again. God decided that that he loves me enough that he wants to be with me everywhere I go 24-7. God himself lives inside of me. Therefore, that makes me zealous for good works. Two more things here real quick, and these will be pretty quick. Verse 7 of uh, Titus 3. Big fancy word there, having been justified by his grace. Justified means to be declared right. For you guys that have New Living Translation out there, not guilty. I'm justified. I stand before God and God says, James, you're not guilty. Whoa, 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 what do you mean I'm not guilty? I know what I thought this week. I know what I said this week. I know what I saw this week. I know what I did this week. I'm not guilty. No, you're not guilty. How could I not be guilty? You have been justified, a 25-cent theological word. I have been made right in Christ. See, when God looks at me, he doesn't see the sin of James. He sees the blood of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. Now, the Bible gives us a picture of what goes on up in heaven. And what goes on up in heaven is you have God the Father, and you have Satan coming to God the Father, and Satan is accusing the brethren, the Bible says. And Satan's got a lot of good points. He really does. He knows what I've done this week. He's seen what I've done. So he can stand before God the Father and say, okay, you've called James to pastor harvest, right? Yes. Okay, you want that guy up there behind the pulpit. And he did this and this and this and this. Now, what's God the Father supposed to say? All that's true. Satan knows it. God the Father knows it. Jesus steps in and says, got it covered. James said he was sorry. Blood of Jesus forgives it. God the Father says, oh, James is justified, not guilty. What do you mean not guilty? He did those things. Yes, he did those things. But when I ask for forgiveness... Through the blood of Christ, I am forgiven. I am justified. Not guilty. I did them, but I'm not guilty because of what Christ did. Now, as Paul writes, does this give me the freedom to do whatever I want? I'm just going to go sin. I'm going to be forgiven. No. If your heart is so focused on sin, you have to stop and wait for a second and say, wait a second. If my heart is so focused on what I want to do wrong, am I really even made right the first place? Because I've already been liberated, purified and washed, filled with the Spirit, so therefore I want to do things for Him. I'm zealous for that. Once again, look what Christ has done. And so what He has done now, that excites me. Wouldn't you want to tell other people? I mean, seriously, if somebody here has had a drinking problem, do you want anybody else to have an alcoholic problem like that? No. Wouldn't you want to go help liberate them in Christ? For anybody here who's had a horrible marriage where maybe you and your spouse fought like cats and dogs and divorce and separation was so possible and you finally got it right through Jesus, wouldn't you want to go tell another marriage that's hurting? Maybe you struggled with pornography. Maybe you struggled with drugs, a temper, anger, gossip, whatever it is. You struggled and you've been made right and clean and liberated in Christ. Wouldn't you want to be zealous to go tell somebody else? See, this is what we're supposed to do. You got somebody at work right now that is struggling with the same things that you struggled with for years. You found peace and happiness and joy through Christ. Let's be zealous to tell them. 
But so often, God has liberated us. But we don't do anything about it. Lord, thank you for setting me free. Now I can go do what I want. You've been set free to go help others get set free. That's what we're supposed to be doing here, is we're zealous for that. He's done things for me, so therefore I want to do things for him. Last one here, after being justified, verse 7. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Have you ever studied out the Bible to see what your inheritance is? Boy, you guys got a lot coming. Isn't that great? Book of Psalms. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I've heard people say he not only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills as well. Your father is immensely wealthy. Spiritually wealthy. You have an inheritance waiting in heaven that is unbelievable. You're an heir to that. You get that. You get a chunk of that. Now, what did you do to get that chunk? You sinned. (laughs) That's what you did. That's what I did. And Jesus said, I forgive you. There's nothing you've done to earn that. But that's what's waiting for you. Isn't that God's grace, mercy, and love? There is a mansion waiting for you in heaven. There is a heaven of no tears, no physical pain, no emotional pain, no spiritual pain. There is a heaven of no worry, fear, anxiety. And that's all waiting for you for all of eternity because you are a son of God through Jesus Christ. You are an heir. That is your inheritance. What an amazing thing. Problem is, some of us are so earthly focused, we lose that eternal perspective. Some of us are so focused on that thing tomorrow that we lose focus of what's going to be happening for all of eternity. Now seriously, is what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month that big that it clouds all of eternity for you? I mean seriously, imagine this. Imagine you knew you were getting a financial inheritance of whatever figure you want to make it be. Billion dollars. That inheritance is coming in one month. Now you've got a $20 bill next week. Seriously, is that $20 bill anything to worry about? Yeah, but they sent me that bill. They say, oh, 20 bucks. I'm really worried about that. You're getting a billion dollars in four weeks. Can't you just wait? I don't know. $20. What am I going to do? Isn't that what we do down here on earth? Lord, what am I going to do about this tomorrow? Jesus says, well, well wait a second. You've got all of eternity. Don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, don't, Lord, you don't get it tomorrow. Isn't that what we're doing? We're losing focus on what's important. This is why Titus is telling us to teach these things, repeat these things, keep going over these things, to remind us not to keep worrying and being fearful and worked up and to get out there and be zealous for God to do things. So, he wants us to be zealous. And what is all he's done for us? Well, he's returning for us. He's redeemed us. He's purified us. He's washed us. He's given us the Spirit. He's justified us. And now we're heirs. Now, come on. That's a pretty good deal. So therefore, what can I do for him? Turn, if you will, to John 15. What can we do for him? John 15. You've heard me mention this point a lot, so forgive me for being repetitious, but you don't have to sit there and spend your whole life figuring out what am I supposed to do. I run into too many Christians that have this tough time of what does God want from me? What is my calling? What is my purpose? You can go into the Christian bookstore and find book after book after book about your calling, your purpose, what God wants from you. I'm telling you guys, there's two verses in John 15 that tells us what our purpose is. John 15, verse 8. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. And in John 15, go ahead and take a look here at uh, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's your purpose in life, guys. Bear fruit. Well, what does that mean? How many times have you heard us say this? If you're married, love your spouse, raise your kids in Christ. If you're not married, you've been given a great blessing of being single to go out and do a lot of things for the Lord. Be a light and a witness at work. That's bearing fruit. Serve in your church. That's bearing fruit. Pray for people. That's bearing fruit. That's your purpose. It's to go out there and further the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. There is nothing deep with this. There's nothing probing with this. Lord, what am I doing to bear fruit for you? Now just stop and ask yourself this. I've got a list of questions here. Number one, first question, are you zealous for the Lord? Have you lost that spark? Has Christianity become uh, just too easy, too normal, too repetitious? Are you zealous? Now, what's going to make it to uh, get you kick fired here? I mean, is it enough that Jesus is returning? Is it enough that he's washed you and purified you and given you the Holy Spirit? Is that enough? Once again, not to be repetitious, but this is go back to next last week. If the only thing you're getting is Sunday morning, you're probably going to become a little stale. And I don't mean that to pick. That's just a fact. Get involved. Do something. Serve. Go to a different small group study. Do something to spark that because it's too easy to come in and just sit, listen, and leave. Get involved. Do something. That accountability. Next one. Are you looking? Do you realize Christ is returning? Is that something that spurs you on? And as that spurs you on sub-question of that, are you doing something now that you shouldn't be doing? Okay, Christ, I know you're returning. And I look at what I'm doing. Very simply, if you know you're doing something that the Lord would not approve of, stop. Make it right. Well, it's not that easy. It is that easy. It's very easy. It's the follow-through that's hard. But that's why you have a body of Christ to encourage you and help you. Next one. Verse 8, are you maintaining good works? Did you catch this in verse 8? Be careful to maintain good works. That means ordered good works. Now, I want to share this with you real quick because this point really hit me. This phrase of being ordered, how is your life? Is it in order? I've got to share this with you. Every year around Christmas, excuse me, around Easter, I see people start to get real busy. What happens around Easter? Well, the weather gets nice. So we're in shooting distance of school being done. May's pretty busy. You've got graduation parties. You've got stuff going on. Kids are busy with school. Um, weather's getting nicer, so you're going to have to go out and start spending a couple hours on the yard. A lot of you will do a garden. That will take up a lot of time. Summer's coming around. What does that mean? You're going to probably have kids that are involved in softball, baseball, whatever. And you know what always happens about the middle of July? Someone comes up to me and says, We are so busy. You know what my response usually is? You don't have to be that busy. You chose that. Oh, I know. Next year, we're not going to do half this stuff. You know what comes around about Easter? You do everything again. Now, I'm not saying that softball's bad, baseball's bad, gardens are bad, yard work's bad, being out camping is bad, trips, vacations. None of that stuff is bad in and of itself. What becomes a problem, though, is in verse 8. We're supposed to maintain good works. That means an ordered event. So therefore, when life gets so busy, do you still have order that God is number one in your life? 
Are you maintaining that? That God is going to be number one. Everything else will fall into place underneath that. So often we go in with that mindset, and to be quite honest, we get so quote-unquote busy, next thing you know, God falls off a little bit. Oh, this takes over precedence. Oh, this takes over. Oh, get it back. God's first. Oh, now we've got to do this. Guys, maintain good works. Have an ordered life of this is what is right and this is what God wants for you. That is what's going to bless you and take you deeper. Last one here, verse 6. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to be on you abundantly? Are you empowered by Him? Are you led by Him, guided by Him? Let Him be on you abundantly. That is what the Lord has asked of us. Look at verse 5 again. Renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we can't do it ourselves. I made a little list here of the things I can't do. I can't save myself. I can't save my kids. I can't save my spouse. I can't save my marriage. I can't live a pure life. I can't do any of those things. Those things can only happen through the Holy Spirit. But you know what? How many of us try to do that on our own? I'm going to take myself deeper in the Lord. I can't take myself deeper in the Lord. I can have a willing heart to do it, but I can't do it myself. I can't make my marriage better. I can't make my kids saved, and I can't live purely. I can't do those things. God through me can. I can't. If there's someone here today that you're trying to do it on your own, you're going to wear yourself out horribly, guys. You are. It's going to wear you down. It's going to wear you out. And to be honest, you're going to reach a point of you just want to give up. It's so easy when you stop and you think, it's all Jesus. Not us. We got a little thing here that we want to show. Um, really was a neat blessing. And it just kind of um, reiterated to us it's Christ. And how simple that is, and how amazingly easy it is when you stop and you think about it that it's all Jesus and what He's done and what He's going to do. The sound guys are going to get this ready for you.